This episode is brought to you by Crater Lake Taxi. Competent drivers, clean vehicles, on time, anytime. Crater Lake Taxi, 541-333-3333. I am Citizen 44. Please listen carefully. everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. Oh, okay. I hope all is well with you, as always. Maybe your breath is bigger than me. I just received my second $22 parking ticket from Ashland Parking Enforcement. That's two this week. Motherfucker. What happens when you add two $22 parking tickets together? What the fuck? Well, one is, I look like an idiot to the parking enforcement, I'm sure, and two, that adds up to 44. Wow. I can't really be upset about the parking tickets because I parked there (laughs) and failed to do whatever was necessary in order to avoid getting the tickets. I guess they felt sorry for me a little bit at the human being this morning, and uh, Natalie gave me a free cup of coffee. She said she saw my car parked out on Lithia Way yesterday with the ticket on it. Then I told her I had a second ticket that I received just a few days earlier. (laughs) Anywho, that's the way it fucking goes, man. You play, you pay. So I got my 44. It's not the way I wanted to see it, but I see it. And I, I appreciate it. What I say is uh, true. Just to uh, let you know where I'm at with the whole boo in Thailand situation, I've never really gotten into the ups and downs of the last eight months since meeting Boo online in Thailand. Hello. Now, Line is this awesome app in Thailand specifically that offers free texting, free voice calls, and free video calls. Wow. And everyone, literally, literally, everyone in the country of Thailand that I'm aware of is using Line as a communication app. And it's free. My mobile phone, they It's how I've been speaking to Boo since October 18th of last year. You know... We've had some conflict, misunderstandings, all kinds of things related to and not related to communication, meaning her understanding English. I can speak English well. And my understanding her English. You are not American. If you are American, you will understand what I said. Most of it was not to do with that. It's just our different ways of thinking. And we're from two different cultures and so different in many ways. No, I can't feel. Anywho, in the past couple days, something happened again. I was in the taxi and I had picked up a customer, Josh, from up at the top of Morton. And uh, he needed a round trip to Safeway. After I dropped him off into the Safeway there, I decided to call Boo, check in, say hello. And somehow we got on the topic of death. I would like to die with dignity. Nobody's wiping my ass or taking care of me in a way that is a burden to them and a burden to me. If I want a certain quality of life as I transition out. I mean, if I'm going to be struck down with illness, that's fine. I mean, it's all fine. But if it's debilitating in a way that's non-recoverable, I want to fucking take myself out. So I let her know this and... 
she's got this dog she calls Old Dogga. That's that's how she says dog. dog. She's so cute. She's really fucking adorable. And I hope we can actually overcome what I feel would be like the final hurdle of our conflict. Second time or three time. We've gone through all kinds of other things, but now we're talking about death. Death is on the table, man. She lost both her parents, and she took care of them to the end in ways that I don't want to be taken care of. I'm guilty, man. I've got my opinions, my ways, and I'll just fucking just say it, and uh, I'm not necessarily sparing feelings when, in fact, I should be considering how somebody feels before I blurt out my dialectic insanity. I tell you something, don't let me. So she's got an old dog, and they're essentially won't put it down. And the dog clearly is suffering based on what she tells me. The dog can barely breathe half the time. Oh, you want to eat hot dog? I said, you know, what I hear from you is I hear, I want. I want the dog to stay alive. I want you, if you get sick, I want to be able to take care of you. I want. So I pointed out this I want thing. I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back. My tongue come out all the time. Where she started crying and disconnected from our video chat. I understand. And this is, again, these are different ways of thinking. And I was a little insensitive and allowed my ego to dictate, you know, the rightness of my opinions. I mean, this is about my life anyway. Oh, okay. You know, seriously. So I do have a right to want to exit stage left in a way that is comfortable for me and that I don't feel that I'm burdening anybody, my children, my ex, my parents, I may go before all these people. And that's fine, as you've heard. I don't really give a shit when it is now. More how it is, that's all. And again, I just want to reduce any unnecessary suffering that I may have to go through. But if I have to have some, fine. But whatever I can control, I'm going to control in that way. Maybe I won't ever talk to her again. And she told me, she said, if you're the man I marry, I want to take care of you to the end. And I think that's very sweet and noble and all those things. I don't want to have to go through that, nor, again, do I want anybody else to have to go through with taking care of me. I can take care of me just fine, and I will take care of me in whatever way necessary in order for me to get through whatever I need to get through with as much reasonability as humanly possible. So there you go. Today on the show, we have Mr. Gene Burnett talking about making music and being a Tai Chi teacher. Super excited to chat with him. It's always great to be here with you. My name is Mark Ahrensberg, Citizen 44. Let's get on with the show. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm doing very well. How are I'm, you doing? I'm good. I'm glad you finally made it. I know you're a you're a very busy guy. I'm a busy dude. Yeah, a lot of shit going somewhat, on. Somewhat, somewhat, you know. You know, I was talking to my friend Alan Hicks. I think at this kind of age that we're at, 
kind of the Renaissance man thing is happening. We do all kinds of things. Yeah. This is kind of the time where a lot of the confidence is high and the tripping out about shit is low and we're old enough and don't care as much about stupid shit anymore. And And maybe you have to have more than one iron in the fire to make ends meet. Actually, I've been getting away with the taxi recently. Right. But it's burning me out. I can can feel it now. Yeah, you need some uh, graphics gigs. I don't know what I want, actually, <laughs> at this point. This morning, I had to go drop off the car to get an oil change and have Joe do some stuff. And I just thought, like, I don't really need to have to be here anymore at all. Uh, you mean Ashland or Earth? Mm, yeah, this. <laughs> I, I literally, I, I, and I think about this regularly these days. Not like I'm, you know, contemplating taking myself out. Right. But it's just like... Feel complete, more or less? Yeah, i kind of done most of everything I want to do. You know, I've got some great kids... I've done a little traveling. You know, I've done fucking all of it. Hey. Well, I too am pretty complete. I, uh, I have done a lot of the things that I dreamed of doing as a little kid. I always loved nature uh, from my youngest, earliest days. And uh, to live in a place like Ashland where the natural world is so close. Because, right. see, I don't drive. My wife has a car, but I don't drive. A friend of ours gave her a car last year, a decent car, but yeah. but um, we never had a car that whole time. We'd borrow them occasionally, but right. we're mostly on bikes, and so Ashland's a great town for that. But I've had so much, you know, I've lived here since since 99, so, you wow. know, 17, 18 years in this beautiful valley, and I've had a chance to um, experience a lot of beautiful nature stuff here. I always wanted to be a teacher. Specifically a Tai Chi teacher or just uh, in general? I think I, I think I had a gift for teaching in general, just to explain things to people, break things down, make it easier to understand and grasp. It's one of the few things I actually have talent at. Most of the things that I'm attracted to in my life, I had no talent at. So I had to work. It means it didn't come easy. I see. Talent to me means it comes easy. Like someone with athletic talent, for instance. I had a friend of mine had a little kid who was just extremely talented physically, athletically. I mean, I taught him to throw a Frisbee when he was about two. Wow. I mean, the Frisbee was like a garbage can lid to him. Yeah, right. And he could figure out the mechanics of it and get it in the air with a spin on it. I mean, I think when you have athletic talent, you just hone in on what works and what but doesn't work or what's inefficient, those files just get deleted immediately. Right. Playing guitar, singing, performing, Tai Chi, hacky sack, <laughs> um, all these things that I like to do. But they're not naturally. You don't have no whatever. What, no, really. Whatever, what, I've been doing them for. I mean, I've been doing Tai Chi for thirty years. If you see any grace or agility or flow in me, it probably did not come standard. It was I installed it myself. <laughs> Software that I yeah, installed yeah, yeah. myself through yeah. years and years of practice. I mean, I, I can't say I had absolutely no talent. I don't think I was handicapped, but I had very little talent, very little natural talent, except for teaching. And once I started actually teaching, I mean, I got better at it very, very quick. I deleted those files that didn't work. For instance, here's a common thing that I notice among teachers. So I'm in the park a lot. I teach in Lithia Park every day or almost every day, and I notice there's a lot of field trips out of there, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of teachers with groups of kids. Right. And I've noticed that probably 9 out of 10 of them, over and over and over again, start talking before they have kids' attention. So they're going, okay, um, I need you to get over here, now over here, no, not there, uh, Ryan, no, come over here, now what we're going to be doing, now come on. They're starting their talking before they have anybody's attention. Right. So I figured this out, because I have talent at this, the first day I was teaching. 
I mean, the very first day I taught, I realized I don't want to start talking until everybody's listening. Sure. Because otherwise I have to repeat it. That's right. How uh, do you get their attention? You know, you can clap your hands or you can say, everybody, come here, listen. You know, you, right. you, but you have to have authority in your voice. Sure. You have to have a chest voice and not a, a whiny head voice. I mean, you have to develop these things. But I just figured that out very quickly and right away. And so I had some talent at that. But playing guitar came really, really slowly, even though I started when I was eight. And I'm still extremely limited on the guitar. Just a simple little lick that someone else would learn in five minutes would probably take me five months of practicing right. every day. I sound like I know what I'm doing because I'm in a little box and I stay there. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's a good box for you. Yeah, I, got, I yeah. think so. I got a yeah. nice style that accompanies me pretty well, but right. I'm not a musician. I play with other people. I don't know what's going on. Right. Unless they're following me, right. I can't follow them. Right. I was always attracted to understanding things. I was always attracted to sort of putting the truth as I experienced it into words. Right. And I was attracted to setting those words to music. Right. And I was attracted to sharing that music with other people. That was were things I was attracted to. I wasn't necessarily good at them, but I was attracted to that. And I've been doing that ever since. You know, I haven't made any big dents in the music world. I'm, I'm at the bottom rung of the ladder. I, but you're I, doing what you want. Yeah, I made satisfying music, lots of it. I've I've made albums, lots of albums. I've I've got to play some really nice gigs. I perform with some people that I care about. I've made a lot of musical friends. I've connected with you a lot of people. You open for like fucking America at the at Brit. Yeah, come the, on. Brit gave me my best gig ever. I, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever play there again, but for the whatever. But you yeah, did. I got to play at the Brit main stage by myself That's with fifteen hundred people. I sold a bunch of CDs and had a great time. I got the na 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 with America on Horse with No Name. Well, you so. got the rock experience. <laughs> you got the big stage yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. That, most people never ever get oh, even, even close. Yeah, close yeah. To. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've had some fun there. I always wanted to be a teacher, and I became one. I always love nature, and I'm in, in nature a lot. And Tai Chi is really where nature kind of meets culture. It's like finding a natural way to move and be when you've unlearned it and gotten stiff and misaligned right. and tight. It's about finding a natural way to to move and to breathe and stand and be and. So I'm teaching something that's related to nature in a beautiful natural park in a lovely town. Right. I always wanted to be in a in a relationship with someone I really cared about that I could be myself with. And I've right. been married now for 20 plus years, wow. and that's been really great. You're, by the way, um, again, there's a short list, as you know. Oh, yeah. And it's getting shorter. <laughs> but there's a short list of people, I've been here almost 15 years, of Married couples that are left standing, speaking of last yeah. couple standing, you and like I have four A other tiny friends. Little handful. Well, you know, it's probably because we've been on the verge of breaking up for about 10 years. <laughs> so well, maybe that, we're well, that's on very the issues, you know, we're not we're not complacent. <laughs> well, no, I think that's fascinating because maybe you're constantly working it out. Yeah, definitely. And that is the work that keeps yeah. you together. Ashland is a funny place. It intensifies things. And so if you got issues, they'll be in your face and you better deal with them. Well, this is, you know what, this, and this just occurred to me just now. This is our Burning Man. <laughs> just being here. It is. And things this get and more you know, intense. Ashland has the highest concentration per capita of any place in the world that actually goes to this event. <laughs> so there's a mirroring, an energetic mirroring thing happening that, uh -huh, that must uh -huh, be going on uh -huh. because it's uncanny yeah. how difficult it is for people to be together here. When we first came to visit here, we were just thinking about moving here and we looked around and uh, we ran into people and we asked them about the town and stuff. And one, one woman told us, she said, oh, she said, well, if you're meant to be here, uh, 
when you get here, doors will start opening up, you'll start making friends, you'll start finding work, things will just open naturally for you and you'll feel like this place is really welcoming. And if you're not meant to be here, your car's gonna break down, your relationship's gonna end, you're gonna lose your job, you're not gonna be able to find another one, you're gonna leave here broke. <laughs> so I said, really? She said, yeah, I've seen it happen a lot. And it's it's been kind of true because we made a lot of friends right away and, and it's been pretty pretty welcoming and pretty nice in a lot of ways. So. It's a super nurturing community. Yeah, it is. And so, you know, I've done a lot of the things that I really wanted to do. I wanted to get good at something physical. I wanted to teach it. I wanted to... That all happened here, the Tai Chi thing? Well, I I was doing it before, but what happened is I I grew up in Evanston, Illinois. Are your mom and dad still around? My mom is still alive. She lives in the Upper West Side in New York. Uh, She's in her 80s and she's going strong. My dad died a long time ago. So I grew up in Evanston. Decided I didn't want to go to college. Decided I wanted to pursue music instead. Tried that for a while in Chicago. And then I moved to New York, ostensibly to, to pursue music. I got involved in this sort of, I would call it sort of a therapy cult group. That was about like a weekend workshop where you would confront your issues and do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Similar to Est and those kind of mm, things that were yeah. around at the time. It was a bit more confrontive and in your face. So I learned a lot of good stuff there that stays with me since. But it was like most of those groups, maybe all of those groups. There was an authoritarian leader. The support all went upwards. Sure. Uh, I learned things, but I paid a price for it. It was expensive, and I had to really extricate myself. It was a real process. It wasn't easy to leave. And when I did, I had to do kind of a little psychic surgery in myself to figure out what I wanted to keep and what was bullshit. Sure, but it was so, valuable. Yeah, and I did some music there. I played at a lot of open mics, and the, I was in the same circles, and I knew Suzanne Vega and the people in that kind mm-hmm. of new folk scene. But I got burned out on it. I had an epiphany one day. I went to the movie Return of the Jedi yeah. with a friend of mine. Yeah. And when I'll it first came out, uh, let's see, it came out in 81, so I must have been... Um, 24 or 5. How old are you now? I'm going to turn 60 in about a week. Really? Yeah. Damn. I'll tell you the story. I don't tell too many people, but I'll tell you and, and Thank the you. thousands of listeners. Yeah, um, my mom's. <laughs> Mom, this is for you, babe. <laughs> my buddy and I went to see Return of the Jedi, and we went uh, on mushrooms. We ate mushrooms. Now, yeah. I, don't think I'd eaten, I don't think I'd ever taken mushrooms up to that point, or maybe once. Mm-hmm. So we take the mushrooms. We're in line. And it starts to kick in. You, know, you get that kind of spongy feeling in your legs. <laughs> it's like, oh, here we go. So we're watching the movie. I'm watching Return of the Jedi. What was that like, man? Just to even have that visual experience. It was amazing. I mean, I was really into Star Wars then. I'm kind of over wow. it now. But um, So we're watching the movie. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the movie, I'm watching the movie. I can pay attention to everything that's going on the screen. But inside my mind... It's like I had another movie screen. I had another vision in my mind that, that I could watch at the same time I was watching the movie on the screen. And in the movie, in, in the, sort of the, the, the sort of screen in my head, I saw the planet Earth from a distance. I could see the, the, the beautiful blue ball of the Earth. And then my vision sort of panned out, and, it, and I zoomed back, and I, I really experienced the vastness of space and how tiny how just infinitesimally small planet Earth was. I could feel it in my body, how small it was. And then I kind of zoomed back in on it, and I could experience, like, on this little speck was an even tinier speck, which was me running around the surface of this little speck with my guitar trying to be rich and famous. And the idea of that just struck me as just 
deeply absurd. Like, right. what the fuck am I doing? And I realized just in a flash, like right then, I didn't want to do music as a career anymore. Like, I just thought, this is ridiculous. I don't want to spend my time doing this. It's, it's meaningless. Money. Yeah, and fame. And yeah. People look at me, look sure. at me. I realized that I just liked writing and playing music, and I liked sharing it with my friends. And that was it. I hated everything else wow, about the business, music you, business. Man. I didn't like the people who did the booking. I didn't like the club owners. I, didn't, I liked some of the musicians, but that was it. Right. I didn't like traveling, which is huge in right. music. And I just dropped it. Like, in that second, I just went, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this as a career. I just want to do this for my own enjoyment. And then it got even trippier because this voice, this kind of voice came into my head. I mean, I could tell myself that this was a, another part of me or a part sure. of my consciousness. Maybe it was. I don't know. But it had the feeling of something else, right? Yes. So I started to talk to it a little bit and it's sort of like... You know, and you were doing this telekinetically. You were I'm not. sitting there in my chair watching right. the movie on mushrooms. But conducting a conversation... Yeah, and I tried to, but it just silenced my mind. Like, it just waved its hand or its yeah, whatever, its tentacle. And I couldn't speak. Like, my normal mind-thinking voice right. that I recognize right. as my head, I, I couldn't answer it. I mean, I literally, it was, it was as though, like, I put my hand across and just muted you. Mm. It, like, it, it clicked the mute button on my thoughts. And it told me that big opportunities were coming to me in the future, important opportunities were coming to me, that I was not ready for them, that I was not trained for them, that I needed to be trained for them. In other words, like um, you're going to be watching, walking across a bridge and someone's going to be drowning and you don't know how to swim. It was it's that you're kind of thing. Right it's now. telling me to do that. Yeah. And, and, and that I should treat my entire life as training for this opportunity. Like nothing else mattered. So, and I was just kind of like, okay. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I right away, I, th I thought of my friend Roy who taught martial arts in, in New York. And I thought of another guy, Joseph, that I knew who taught yoga. This voice told me not to do anything crazy, not to make any rash, impulsive decisions, because I was ready to make an impulsive decision. Right. And don't do, just calm down, stay where you are, live your life, but treat it as this training thing. And I never forget the last words it said to me. It said, "Oh, and you'd better learn to defend yourself." Like literally said those words. Oh, and you'd better learn to defend yourself. And also, I think at some point during this little monologue, it was giving me. It said something like, "This is not about you." This is not about you, your ego, uh, your, your, your puffed up self at all. It's like if you get too full of yourself, yeah. you know, you'll get your ass kicked. Yeah. It's not about you. It's just about meeting these opportunities. Yeah. So I said, okay. And then poof, I'm back in the movie with the Ewoks and shit. And, and I'm just watching the movie. So when the movie was over, I said to my friend Larry, I go, Larry, uh, I'm, uh, I'm quitting music. I'm quitting, I'm quitting doing music as a, 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 for a career, as a living. And he just goes... Gene, you're tripping. <laughs> I said, yes, no, no. I was, but now I'm not. <laughs> I, said, I said, no, no, I'm doing it. So I quit music. I didn't really have anything but to replace it with, but I found that, that yoga teacher again, and I found that guy, and I started doing some training there, and I got some sense of that. And I had a girlfriend at the time. She had a cabin in the San Juan Islands. A little, her parents had a cabin in the San Juan Islands. We had visited, and we were both getting sick in New York, and the cult leader of our little group was talking about he was talking about how some Nostradamus prediction was saying that the world was going to end in 1984 and what are you going to do if you're if this is your last Fucking year George of your Orwell life shit. if what are you going to do if yeah. this is the last year of your life and I said well if this is the last year of my life I really don't want to spend it in Manhattan I want to spend it on this in this island <laughs> right. so we left that was yeah. my little excuse to pull out of giving up music and moving to this island I kind of helped me pull away from the group it still took me years to sort it out to be honest with you to sort out that group out of my life right uh, I lived in the San Juan Islands in this little rustic cabin with 
wood heat and kerosene lanterns and spring water and, and all this woman. stuff. Yeah, and on her parents' property. Dream. It was beautiful and it was lovely, but it was too soon. I was too young and it was hard to make a living out there. And at some point I realized I'm missing something. I don't know what it is. How did you make a living out there? It's savings. I, I just knew that, that uh, what I needed in my life was... I, I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was in the city. Mm-hmm. I knew it was in Seattle. So, where people are. Yeah, where the juice is. So I said, uh, I made a list of everything I'd ever loved to do in my life. I made a list of everything that ever made me feel really alive and really great, like I was really myself. And I looked at the list, and I was really surprised that the majority of the stuff on the list was before I was 10, 11 years old. I mean, there were some adult pleasures, obviously, but most of the stuff that really made me feel good were uh, things I did when I was a kid. Like, most of them involved doing something physical where I had to really aim my capacities at a specific result, like jump off this fence and catch this horizontal branch, or stand on the crossbar on my bicycle, or climb this tree to a certain branch. balance things. Balance things, exactly. And I thought, I'm going to do something physical that I like, and then I'm going to teach it. I mean, I literally made that conclusion based on those things because they were almost all kind of physical things, even though I wasn't particularly talented. So I immediately thought of yoga because I had done some yoga in New York, and I thought of Tai Chi because I had taken a class in in, in Chicago before I went to New York, Mm -hmm. and I really liked it. And I thought about massage and body work because, well, that's something I can do relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get a license in a year and you can, or, or so, and you, you can practice right away. Whereas these other things, I thought I'd have to train in this for years before right. I could teach it. Right. So I went to Seattle. I got an apartment back when Seattle was so cheap, dude. I had an apartment about this size, maybe not quite as nice as this. The rent was like $240. <laughs> this was in, in the 80s when even in New York, that would have been nine or 50. Right. So right. Uh, I got a funky little apartment. I lucked into really good teachers. Went enrolled in massage school immediately. Found a great Tai Chi teacher who I ended up staying with for 13 years. Uh, I found a really good yoga school that was like two or three blocks from my house. Um, and I started studying, and I got a job selling uh, chimney cleaning over the phone, phone sales. Chimney cleaning. Chimney cleaning. It was a safety item, so I felt better about it. It's not uh, like selling aluminum siding. Right. And we had this cool company where uh, if the chimney didn't need cleaning, if it wasn't a safety hazard, they wouldn't charge you. So. Huh. It wasn't like selling aluminum siding or something. Thing. Yeah, I felt okay about it, yeah. and I and I was very good at it. I was really good at sales, and so. And I believed in this product. If it had been something I didn't believe in, I couldn't have done it. But uh, they gave us this complicated sales pitch paragraph about the company. And then all these, like, they say this, you counter it with this. Sure, and professional telemarketing. I threw this out in one day. Yeah. I got my pitch down because I figured out within a day or two that the way to get sales, first and foremost, was lots and lots of dialings. The more dialing, yes, I had to find a customer. Yeah, we had these, we had these by address. You know, it went the other way around. Like we're just looking block by block. Right. And I don't even know if these people burn wood. So why am I telling them all this? It's a waste of your time. I could call you here. So here's my pitch. I shortened it down to this. Hi, this is Gene Burnett from Pacific Chimney Cleaning. We're in your neighborhood cleaning chimneys. I just wanted to check with you. Like that was it. That was it. Either you have a chimney or you don't. And if they said, if they said, how much is it? 
Then I would then say, well, know. Boom. if we the come out open. and it doesn't need it to be clean, we won't charge you anything. But right. if we do, we'll, you know, and then I would unpack all right. my sales gear. But I didn't do that until I found out well, if they even burn the wood. Yeah. Yeah. And if he said, I don't even burn wood, I, honestly, I would be dialing bef- my next call right. before, his, before right. he got the cra- phone right. in the cradle. Right. I was like, thank you. Right. you know, so that's how I sort of kept myself afloat. And I realized pretty quickly that I didn't want to do yoga for a living. Why was that? You have to rent a space. You need liability insurance. The first time I saw, nothing against fat people, but the first time I saw a big fat guy standing on his head, wobbling around on the wall, I just thought, I don't want to be responsible. What if if he falls on me? Exactly. What if he falls down and breaks (laughs) his ankle? You know, I just, I'm kind of gear phobic. I like things really simple, and I just thought, "Ah, this is too too much. much. You got to rent a studio and all this stuff. But I knew I loved it, and I did it intensively for like six or seven years. But Tai Chi, I fell in love with immediately as soon as I saw it. I was like. I want to move like that guy. Up till then, I'd been pretty undisciplined. I'd only done things that came, you know, fairly reasonably easily. I I never really struggled too hard at things. I struggled at guitar when I was a kid, but as an adult, I was pretty lazy. But now I changed. I was like, I want to move like this guy. I don't care what it takes. So I started studying real and built my whole life around my classes. All I my that was my main thing. Right. And. Uh, Eventually, I quit the chimney cleaning job and started working at a, fr- a friend of mine, made friends with a guy who had a vintage clothing store, and I started working for him and doing odds and ends for him, kind of like assistant to him. And eventually, I switched over to teaching Tai Chi. And what happened was a year into training with my teacher, Andy Dale, uh, in Seattle, someone asked him if he wanted to do a senior citizen class, and he didn't want to do it. And he asked me if I would be interested in doing it, and I jumped at the chance right. to teach anything. I'd only been doing it for a year or so, but very very uh, intensively yeah. yeah and I thought well they're not martial artists I don't have to teach them anything you know I just just the basics and stuff so I went to teach this class in this little senior center I had like five or six students and I that's how I learned to teach and, right. I, and I was working on that and the the woman who was the director of the senior center this was a one-room senior center essentially like it was one big room it had a right. kitchen in one corner and this and that and she sat at the front desk and she just watched, watched it, me yeah. learn to teach and she she could see I was good at this and that I was connecting with these folks she eventually left that job and went to North Seattle Community College senior adult program and the first thing she did was recruit me to teach huh. senior classes at different senior centers right. and that built and within a few years I was making a living te- I was making more money than my teacher was not a lot but right. I was teaching these senior citizen classes big classes and helping people with their balance and, and cool, just man. getting to know people. What a great, what a great yeah. first time. Kind yeah. Of like, because they, they're, you know. It was like having training wheels on. Right. I got to teach with a really friendly, really forgiving group of people who were really cool. Who don't cool, even know. Who they, are really cool. And they're not looking to do spinning back kicks. They're just looking to not fall down. Right. Seriously, not fa- falling is a big right, deal as we will find as we get older. Yeah, yeah. Goodbye to their family. yeah, exactly. Yeah, you cancel Christmas. I fell right. down. So I started doing that. And then I, I transitioned to teaching younger people at the same time. I had a class at a yoga school where I taught. The place, first place I... I the place I took yoga, I ended up renting that studio yeah. to teach Tai Chi there for younger people. And... And uh, so, you know, I became a Tai Chi teacher and I became uh, someone who made a living teaching something that they loved and was really great. Um, The problem was I just taught so much and I just was getting burned out in the city. Meanwhile, I had met Samara and we had gotten married and we were both tired of the city and we wanted to move to someplace smaller, someplace more natural, nature was closer by. And uh, we ended up taking along 
a bus trip actually across the country. We got one of these passes and we took a, you know, six weeks or whatever and traveled across the country. And we ended up moving to a little town in Iowa where she had gone to school. And it was a great place to decompress. It was super cheap. It was really rural. But we just didn't really connect very well to the people there. And mm. it was actually another kind of culty, <laughs> if wow. I may say, where the TM cult is located. What's the TM? Transcendental Meditation, you know, Maharishi. The oh, yogi, okay. The Beatles yogi. Yeah, yeah. It's a fairly benign cult. I think it's a cult, but, uh, you know. What define cult? A hierarchical organization with a, a special jargon, special language. They feel like they're on the cutting edge of humanity, the cutting edge of, uh, of our evolution. There's an in-group and an out-group, and the power goes upwards. It's not like communal decisions. There's an authority at the top. What's the difference it. between a cult and a religion, then? Uh, religions can be culty. They definitely can be culty. Sometimes, most religions started as cults, and then they become more mainstream. They can be culty, certainly. They don't necessarily have to be. It just depends on how the, how the power the is power dealt with and yeah. also how easy it is to come and go. It's, uh, cults don't encourage you to leave. You're encouraged to stay forever. And it's difficult to leave because you're sort of subtly or not so subtly disrespected for leaving. You're kind of out of the group. You're kind of shunned if you leave. Sure. So uh, this was the TM thing. When, you know, Maharishi started off with this. It was just buy your mantra. All you have to do is say your mantra. Say your mantra. Go, go through this class. Meditate. That's all you have to do. Right. And then, depending on how you look at it, I look at it like, well, the market dried up. So, but you also have to take these herbs, and you also have to play this special music, and you also have to have your house done by special Vedic architects, and you right. have to... You can't go through a south-facing entrance, and you have to go through wow, east-facing entrances. And, and special music. I mean, I, I worked for a mover guy there who moved people to and from Fairfield, and we'd go into the storage unit to move them, and they'd have a little box in there that was decoding the signal that you had to pay for this box that played special music, twenty-four-seven, for your furniture. What? <laughs> That's I mean, nuts. I mean, I know, and I was a mover, right? So I let me go back a little. Maharishi bought this college in Fairfield, like bought a college that was going bankrupt, mm -hmm. changed it to Maharishi University, and all these Maharishi people moved there. The locals were just regular local farm folk in Iowa. They started calling them Ruse, which is short for gurus. So, just like the African American. Uh, community took the word nigger, which was a pejorative, pejorative discriminative term, sure. and spun it around, called each other that, right. and used uh, and, and like, turned the tables. They did the same thing. So the ruse called each other ruse. Mm. So there was kind of two economies, the ru economy and the local economy. The ru economy was all these kind of entrepreneurs and sort of uh, uh, socioeconomically middle to upper middle class More sophisticated yeah people. city people who yeah. moved in and did that the locals were just the locals so right. some of the locals crossed over and worked for the rue economy but generally they were kind of separate and so i worked for a rue guy but he was an ex-athlete he was a physical dude he was not in his head like the rest of these folks they were nice people super nice but they were like some pretty physically depleted people. The world was a fearful place, and unless you took this herb and listened to this music and did this thing... So they were thing, all the 90-pound weight They wouldn't go out... Oh, I can't tell you how many times people told me, I'd like to help you lift the boxes, but I have a health concern, or that box is really heavy, you should get some help, and I'd just walk over and pick it up and walk wow. out of the room. So I liked the locals more, but I was socioeconomically more like the ruse. Right. So I didn't make really too many friends. 
So I'm on moving jobs with this guy who was a big athletic dude who moved people to and from Fairfield because people are always moving. Right. He hired me and a, and a local redneck guy named Gary. Gary hardly ever spoke. He was really quiet, but he was observant. And he was actually, he was a meditative dude, like a natural one. He would go fishing. He had two cars, two like Pontiac Grand Prix or Buicks or whatever. They were funky redneck cars, two cars. One was his fishing car that didn't smell nice. And then the other one was his regular car. So he'd drive out to fish. He had a cooler like in the back seat of the fishing car, like permanently. Right. And that was where the bait and the beer right. and whatever was. And he'd sit there. And when you fish in Iowa, I mean, there's no white water in Iowa. There's not even any clear water in Iowa. Like the I- Des Moines River is brown. Like Iowa's not steep enough to get white water or clear water. Right. You know, it's brown water. It's like agricultural runoff. And it it's just, just dirty. It it it's kind of dirty. But yeah. it's not necessarily polluted. It's probably polluted with agricultural stuff. Right. I I don't know. But in any case, he was fishing for catfish. Okay. Now catfishing is not like fly fishing where no. you're delicately teasing yeah. the water with a little replica of a right. mayfly. You take a hunk of something rotten, you put it on a hook, and you drop it in right. the water, and you wait. Right. I mean, they're bottom feeders, right? Right. So he was a catfisherman. So he would sit up there on the bridge and fish in the Des Moines River, probably as in the zone as any of those meditators ever wanted to be right so gary and i would go and sometimes we'd be moving a couch and we'd go up to the building and the guy wouldn't want us to take the couch in the south facing entrance because it was inauspicious so we had to carry the couch around the back of the building to go in the east facing it and you know we're just looking at each other like and we go into this storage unit to move the stuff in this special boxes in there playing special vedic music for every hour of the day and gary would just look at me and go gene this just don't make no sense I go, how come? He goes, well, why are you playing music for your fucking furniture? You know, he's, and one day he goes, Gene, he goes, these people like mushrooms. And I go, how so, Gary? I felt like Dragnet, you know, yeah. how so, Gary? He goes, kept in the dark and fed horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they were nice people, though. Yeah. I mean, we just couldn't That's connect. Innocent. We just couldn't connect with them. Right. They weren't like they were moonies. They right. were just, they believed in this stuff. And right. God bless them. They were vegans. And you could go to this little town in Iowa and have a health food store and cool places to shop. And there right. was neat stuff there. I'm not. And that's because of that. Yes. Community. It just wasn't for me. Right. It wasn't for us. A little us. too airy fairy. Yeah. So, so we decided, like, okay. Where are we going to move? And we looked around Iowa. We looked around the Midwest. We took side trips. We just couldn't find a place that worked. And Samara finally said, what about Ashland? Because it had been on our previous shortlist. And I said, oh, no. not." And you'd been here before? No, but we'd been in the area. And why did you have this preliminary disdain for the possibility? The rain. Oh, rain. The rain. I just thought, oh, I don't want to go back to the rain. So she went and got the booklet, you know, the Chamber of Commerce book. And she goes, look, 15 inches a year. It's it's really Northern California. And I said, well... And she was into belly dancing at the time. She made some calls. There was lots of belly dance. And I finally said, look, fuck it. Let's let's give it a shot. Yeah. So the next day, I go to my boss and I go, guess where we're thinking about moving? And he goes, Ashland, Oregon? (laughs) And I said, holy fuck. I go, how did you know that? He goes, I didn't. That's just, I'm moving a guy there in, uh, what did he say? I'm moving a guy there next month. If you decide you want to move there, I'll move your stuff. I'll move your stuff and you guys. We'll take you, I'll take you guys too. We'll, we'll go, we'll, I'll do it for nothing. All you got to do is help me offload when we get there. Because the other guy was moving here. Serendipity, baby. So I, do you know Ken Orso? Yeah. He's the guy who moved here. Really? Yeah. He lived in Fairfield and he moved so there. Yeah. Weird. And I knew Ken. So we said, okay, but in order to do this, talk about leap of faith. Get this. This is right up your alley. This is right up your alley, Mark, when you went to Thailand, right? Mm. You decided to go, yeah. just sold everything. Yeah. So 
This is in the days before the internet really took off. This is like 99. So weird to hear that. We had to go to a freaking travel agent to buy a plane ticket. Right. Remember right travel agents? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and in order to fly to Ashland, give it a decent look, which we knew from experience took a while, because you get there and you're blown away. Of course. And yep. you're all in love. Yeah. And then you see the downside. You mean like and a relationship? you get depressed. Yeah. And then you work, you earn your way back to some kind of balanced view you of the place. just describe the perfect marriage. Yeah, yeah. So, Your marriage. Yeah, you get there way. free. Yeah. You get course. nature gives it to you free. Of She's course. awesome. You're awesome. And then you no. find out what's really there. Right, right. This is you know you don't want to make that choice hastily. Right. I got married in my mid 30s. So we knew it would take about 2 weeks to really give it a thorough. Right. So and then find a place to live. Right. So in order to come here, have 2 weeks here to check it out and rent a place, fly back, pack everything and be ready for that uh, for that move that yeah. move yeah. we had to leave like literally in in two days from when he said i'll take you there for free so we had 48 hours basically to, no, I adopted to, my daughter. to commit leave tomorrow. to commit to do this yeah. so that ticket was expensive yeah, sure. to buy a ticket across the country for and get this just to fly to to fly to ashland okay we had to first of all take a, a sort of taxi, not really a taxi, but a guy who had a car who was willing to do this, right. drive us to Kansas City to the airport, five hours away, because it was the nearest decent oh, size. We were oh, out in the country then, right. in the country, country. So we had to take this four or five hour cab ride to Kansas City. We had to fly to Portland and then take the little propeller thing sure. down to here. Yeah. And we had to, we bought that ticket on two days notice, which cost us, God, back then it was probably $1,500. It was expensive. Yeah. So we flew out here, but we fly into Portland, and I was just like, you know, the Portland airport is just one of the coolest airports. Truly. And I fly, and I was like, oh, the Northwest again. You can get here. Machismo Mouse used to be a thing. Right. These organic, you could get an organic burrito at right. the airport. Right. <laughs> I was like, right. oh, yeah, the Northwest. They're probably way ahead of, they were ahead of anybody in the country. Yeah, we're flying down to Ashland, and I'm looking out the window of this little propeller plane, and there's just fucking clouds, just wall of clouds that we're flying over, just carpet. And I'm like, oh, in the Northwest again. I'm just tired of that rain. Because I'd lived in Seattle for 15 right. years. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking down, and the rain starts to thin out. And then it stops. And it's clear. And I'm like, huh. And we flew down here. It didn't rain the entire two weeks that we of were here. Of course not. Anytime we got any elevation, like up in the hills hiking right. or whatever, I would look north, and I'd see this little wall of clouds out about by Roseburg where the there's a little range out there, and the clouds often stop there. Right. And uh, I was like, huh. It happened just like we thought it would. We fell in love. And then we were like, oh, this place, honestly, a big decision for us was whether we wanted to move back to the city because compared to Fairfield, this was urban. Right. I mean, the car lots as you come into town and all the traffic and the people and all this stuff. But I was practicing Tai Chi in the park. And honestly, I was a little shy to practice Tai Chi in public in Iowa because it looked weird. You know, like your wrist is moving kind of funny. Sure. <laughs> Expect someone to pull out an air rifle. There's one of them boys. Get him. <laughs> Look at he's moving his wrist kind he's of funny. He's gay. Look at him. <laughs> so, so I'm doing Tai Chi in the park, and I just hear this kid ask uh, his mother, you know, like, Mommy, what's that guy doing? Oh, he's doing Tai Chi. You know, I was like, oh, this is so cool. I mean, they know what it is. Right. Thank and God. so uh, we decided to move here. We just decided to do it. And the last day before we left, we found an apartment. Of course. And thank goodness it was still reasonably inexpensive. Is it the same then. one you're in now? No, it was, uh, I was, it was over on Hellman. We were there for several years, and then we moved into the current place we're in. Mm-hmm. You know, we moved here, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do for a living. I just, um, I just was thinking about, I don't know, applying for the co-op or whatever. I just didn't know what I wanted to do because I 
I'd, I'd gotten so burned out on teaching classes, I just didn't want to do it anymore. So I'm doing Tai Chi in the park one day, and I just thought to myself, I wonder if I could teach private lessons. I wonder if it would be different if I just work with people one at a time and just really got to know them, their particular you know, training goals and fitness level, and just work with people one at a time instead of being in these classes where in, inevitably you're kind of the dad and they're kind of the family and there's sibling rivalry and politics and, and you're always aiming at the middle or the person who's most likely to hurt themselves. Right. They're the least likely to stay, mm-hmm. but I got to give them the most attention. Right. And meanwhile, the people that are picking it up or kind of waiting and I just was tired of juggling classes and I thought that that really felt right to me and I'd never heard of anybody just teaching private lessons and so I thought huh and I'm literally walking home from practice and this guy is sitting on a bench playing a bass with headphones on and he goes uh, was that Tai Chi you were doing and I said yeah and he goes would you ever consider teaching private lessons and I said yeah I'm really considering it right now what could you afford and he said, like, five bucks. And I said, well, how about ten, you know? <laughs> He's like, well, I could do that. And um, that was Dada Groover. He became, oh. he became my webmaster. He was your first one? He became my webmaster, oh, yeah. helped me set up my website, and he was the guy who designed my first pamphlet for me and helped me do the Where's graphics and now? stuff. He's in Colorado Springs, but he's traveling the world with his wife doing these workshops and stuff. He ended up leaving to find a bigger market cool for cool cat. Stuff. Love yeah, that yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. He's super nice. Bro. Totally cool. We played yeah. music together, and, and he had, became my webmaster and helped me design my flyers. And So I started teaching private lessons mainly because that's what excited me. I didn't know if anybody else would be into it. Right. And I found out that people came out of the woodwork. They were like... Classes are always too slow for me. Classes are always too fast for me. I don't like being corrected in front of people. I just learn better. My schedule's weird. So, you know, I mean, I haven't, I'm not setting the world on fire, but I'm able to stay afloat, you know, at least support my little half of a two income family. Barely, but I mean, I don't make much money, to be honest with you. I really don't. I I can't imagine you do. How could you? I've never made as much money as I did in Seattle, even teaching the senior citizen class. But you're not doing it. It's not about the money. We've had some angels. We've had some people that just gave us gifts and just helped us out, supported what we were doing. What does Samara do? for money she used to be a painting contractor she did faux finish house painting and she's done gardening and then she became a tango teacher and she did pretty well at that and and then she kind of got disillusioned with the whole community and the whole way of her way of approaching it she wasn't getting the results she wanted to get anymore and her dad offered her a chance to go to grad school and pay for it and so she's finishing grad school right now getting a master's in education particularly focus on somatic learning processes and uh, sort of embodied inquiry like using the body not just as a thing to train but also as a source of information sure. and, a, and a, a more interactive relationship with the body and I think when she's done she's going to be teaching some kind of physical movement discipline with these principles Isn't embedded, that fascinating embedded that you're in both it. in this similar area yeah yeah. teaching? Yeah, yeah, very, very similar. Our approaches are very similar. I'm just a little more focused on... To me, Tai Chi is like a martial yoga. It's using a martial art to develop martial attributes mm-hmm. that can be applied in daily life. Things like good posture, relaxed, right. strong muscles, loose flexible joints, relatively clear mind, developing kinetic pathways, moving efficiently in your body, basically balance. But I I, I teach Tai Chi Chi Chuan, the the art, is really a martial yoga. I I teach it to develop these attributes that uh, uh, you can apply in any arena you want. I apply them primarily in, um, in daily life. 
You know, so it's just how you move, how you breathe, how you work, right. how you stand, how you interact with the world. Just looking for balance. And sure. everything you do in your life affects your body. Sure. People talk about mental problems or emotional problems, but that always reflects into your body. Yeah, of course. And you can yeah. work on it from the body to, to the heart, or you can work on the heart to the body, or both. Right. Uh, so I train it mainly that way, and that's what she's interested in doing, helping people find a better balance and a more fluid and connected relationship with themselves. Right. And I always wanted her to teach, encouraged her to teach. She was always like, no. Then she came around and she became a really good teacher and she will no doubt be, be an even better one with this degree under her belt. You know, this has got to start with children. Oh, it's right, It's all right. great to teach adults. Right. If those adults are not necessarily passing this along, hmm. then that evolutionary process is kind of stopping. Right, right. I think... Have I've, you worked with children at all? I, I've worked with young people a bit. Tai Chi is is a is tricky one for kids because you have to move so slowly and it's such a slow kind of measured body study and, and you have to remember when you're a kid you know you have a different body every few days sure your body's constantly sure. changing so it's not usually as particularly appropriate for kids but tai chi principles well, that's can what I'm be speaking of. can but a really good dance like Dance is great for kids. Right. Things like judo and aikido are great for kids. They have great kids programs here in town for aikido. But Michael Friedel's dojo, as well as Daryl Bloom's, I believe, have some really good kids programs. There's ways to work these things. Uh, I think Tai Chi just requires a certain amount of maturity. I've I've taught a few people at high school age. A smaller percentage of those stuck with it. I mean, it had an effect on them, sure. and they remember it, and they connect with me later sometimes and say, oh, it was cool what we did. But usually college age is about the youngest that this takes hold. I mean, there are people who teach Tai Chi for kids who basically have them imitate animals. and But so, there are people that are teaching children. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And, I, and I've worked with high school kids. I used to have a friend who taught world religions at the high school and who also taught... Um, I had another friend who taught at the Catalyst program where, for kids who are in danger of not graduating. Mm -hmm. And I would come in sometimes and do like a, an afternoon Tai Chi presentation, little workshop with them, and that was fun. I could um, literally see could, an entire school assembling. Like, you know, in, yeah. in Thailand, all the kids before school, all I mean, it's kind of weird and militaristic in some way, but they all exercise and do this stuff together. Yeah, and I yeah. literally could see... 600 human beings <laughs> out on a field in a yeah. fucking football field yeah, yeah. and that you're actually instructing these people. It could, it could, it could happen. It seems the, reasonable. The, the, the trick with Tai Chi is that, honestly, a lot of Tai Chi that I've seen I don't like and, and it's not because of it's a different style or different emphasis in training. It's, it's okay. But a, a lot of it is they twist their knees a lot. And in order to do Tai Chi correctly, you really need to pay attention to your alignment in your lower body. Yeah. And Today's kids are more and more and more virtual and less and less physically focused. Yeah. Their posture is horrible. Well, this is why I think it's so important. Yeah, is yeah. You're pulling them yeah. out of this world that yeah. is debilitating them physically, yeah. Yeah. and they need to be brought back. I, I, I agree, and I think that kids who do sports are probably in the... Uh, it's it's a, such a great thing to do, no matter what the sport is, even if it's football that has some danger to it, even if it encourages competition with some parents don't like... Kids who are into sports are in so much better shape. But there are other things yes. that you can introduce them to that does not create right. this competitive edge, that does not create collision. But that's there. I'm just saying it's no, there. No, 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 no. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. And what you do yeah. is also there. And there yeah. are other yeah. things that but exist. But the problem, you know, teaching even 20 kids at once, it's difficult because you have to really pay attention.
pay attention to those knees in the beginning. You can't just say put your knees there because they won't do it. They don't know what they're doing. So you have to go well, over. Well, it sounds like you would need more, into, uh, some know, more people. You have you, the, the yeah. primary instructor, yeah. Yeah. and there's someone walking through the yeah, crowd yeah. helping children. Yeah, yeah. Do their yeah, alignment. It, it could happen. Seems they do in China. There's hundreds of yeah. people at a time yeah, yeah, that yeah. are doing these exercises. Yeah, yeah, they can. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll work with anybody who will work with me. Right. I've tried young people. Their attention span is usually too short, and they can't sleep. Well, you do it short. I do it. I do the best I can. Hey, I, I've if done you the best did 15 minutes of getting a child to stop fucking looking at their phone and stop thinking about all yeah. the things that they're doing yeah. and give them a time if they're to motivated. contemplate their bodies. Some, they have to be motivated, too. I had a girl in Seattle. She was 16. She came to study with me. She studied with me for a couple years. She figured out all the bureaucracy to get gym credit for it. Uh-huh. And, and she was into it. She liked it and practiced. And I don't know if she's still doing it, but she certainly had an effect. I had another kid here in town who studied with me for a couple years and ended up going to Taiwan and studying a whole different lineage and all this stuff. But, sure. But they were motivated. They found me. They saw something that they wanted in this and they were motivated to do it. I've had other kids whose parents sort of brought them and sort of, you know, they didn't really want to do it that bad. They kind of like... Even just making yeah. that available. Yeah, yeah. Just plant a seed. And Come 10 on. years later, they might decide to really study That's right. It. Yoga for kids, I think, is better in a lot of ways because you're holding static positions and you're in the one thing and you're trying to do it better. And well, then you can motivate them. maybe that's the beginning them. stage yeah. of developing their yeah, There's all kinds of yeah. different arts that could be introduced to kids. Well, they're getting and, meditation Oh, yeah. They're getting, they're getting much more mindful yeah. movement and stuff yeah. into classes. Yeah. So that's all good stuff. It's actually So I started lot. teaching private lessons and that's just become the thing that I do. I teach private lessons in Lithia Park. I'm out there every day but Saturday and I'm pretty affordable and I work with people one-on-one and I have some group practices for people that need more partners than just me when we do the more martial stuff and a group practice for the main long form that we do but basically I just work with people one-on-one and I'm mostly just helping people with their balance. Most people aren't interested in the martial side of it and even our martial side of it isn't combat oriented but it's you know basically. Isn't it more defense mechanism oriented? uh, Yeah somewhat. Versus offensive There's offensive movement in it, too. Basically, Mark, if you think of the Tai Chi symbol, you have the black and white yin-yang symbol, right? right? It's a symbol of a kind of what I call unforced balance. It's basically a balanced state, right? Right. So the idea in Chinese cosmology is that we're all existing in this, but we're not always conscious of it. Everything in nature, is it's balancing itself all the time. It's not a perfect balance. It's not a stuck thing. Balance is kind of a misnomer. Really, it's balancing. That if you want to keep your balance, no matter what, in what sense, you have to adjust with the changes. So it's a matter of making corrections. Sure. So if you look at a beginning, say, tightrope walker, they make a small number of big corrections. You see that bar they're holding go way up on one side and way up on the other side. Now you watch a master tightrope walker and they're hardly moving. Their their hands are vibrating. There's a very, they're making millions of little corrections. So, the size and frequency of the corrections is what is the difference between a novice and someone who's really good. And that's just a time of investing. Exactly. You invest yeah. in it. Talent helps, but you don't you have, have to. Muscle have memory, you know, yeah. you're, you're geared for it. So basically, it's the art of making those corrections. So essentially, Tai Chi, as I look at it, the first lesson, I teach someone just to stand in a, a well-aligned, relaxed, open, loose, neutral, unforced way. Right. Now... In one lesson, you get a taste of that. Right. That what unforced balance feels like in your body. Just an unforced way of standing. Mm -hmm. Now, everything else in the system is pressure testing that state. So 
can you do it on one leg? Can you do it during the sequence right. of movements? Can you do it when someone's pushing on you? Can you do your, your pressure test? Because this is basically how you get better at something. This is kind of the don't take it personally principle, meaning like you can be pushed in all kinds of ways. You have to just relax. You have to relax, and you have to have a, you have to have pressure that's not too great. If the pressure, when you put pressure on a system, any system, the weak links show up first. They sure. they break. Yeah. So, for instance, if you have a a company that's good at what it does, it makes a good product, it sells the product, but intercompany communication is not great. If they suddenly get a million orders. The communication is what's going to break down first. Sure. So when you put pressure on a system, the weakness shows up first. Right. If that pressure is not overwhelming, if it's just it can be dealt with, then you see it and you learn and you incorporate right. and you fix it. Right. So what I try to do is to provide a gentle, steady pressure test of that unforced balance state that they have in standing, that hopefully brings their weaknesses to fore, and then allows you to correct them and to fix them and then you take on more pressure right so as long as the pressure isn't overwhelming that's how you learn you pressure test that way just like a tree if you have a little plant and it only gets wind from one side it'll get strong on that one side right the wind comes from the other side it just blows it over right so the best thing is a gentle pressure all the way around it gradually increases till it can take a hurricane but if you take the seedling and put a hurricane on it it blows over so you the trick is to control the pressure gradient so that the person is not overwhelmed that they learn same with music like you don't go from playing cajon in your apartment to playing madison square garden with stones right right no matter how good you are in your apartment you can't you're not prepared exactly walk along a two by four on the ground easy put the two by four between two buildings and now do it right very hard it's a whole different but if you but if you put the two by four on two buckets that's, it is the that's, same that's, thing. That's, it's, it's the same thing. Of course. A friend of mine was watching one of the playoff games, and, and he said that uh, it was my buddy Neil, and he said the announcer was watching uh, NBA playoff games, and the announcer said something to the effect of, basketball is the art of executing fundamentals under pressure. Right. Absolutely. That's life. life. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Executing fundamentals, fundamental sure. things, but under pressure. Right. And if that pressure is too great, if you go from your living room to an auditorium, it's a very difficult but job. You're overly compromised. But you go to playing for a few friends, you play at a party, you play at an open mic, you get a gig in a bar, you get a big sure. gig in a bigger bar. Development. You get, you, yeah, you gradually apply the pressure. And then when right. you get to something like the Brit, you're ready. You're ready. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're really you your pants, but you're still you're ready. ready. You're ready. Yeah, yeah you should yeah. quietly. Yeah. <laughs> and you're but, um, smiling. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So that's what I do, basically, is I help people by gently pressure testing them. I consider myself essentially to have like a core practice in my life would be Tai Chi practice, Mm -hmm. which in a broad sense just means the study of unforced balance. Mm -hmm. So that's a big umbrella. Right. That study. But it takes care of everything. Yeah. I'm studying unforced balance all the time. Right. When I'm writing music, performing music, recording music, teaching practicing tai chi chuan the right. art chuan means fist or boxing mm-hmm. so it's unforced balance boxing right riding my bike b- being in my marriage sure being in my friendship just applies to everything applies to everything yeah. Yeah. tai chi chuan itself the martial art i don't really take it that particular art to combat level i don't to me it's my martial yoga it's how i develop my martial attributes or mm-hmm. qualities that I mostly apply in real in uh, daily life. But I have a new practice where I'm actually studying fighting. It's in alignment with Tai Chi principles. It's part of my Tai Chi practice, the big umbrella, right. but it's not part of my Tai Chi Chuan practice. I'm right. not trying to make those specific exercises and movements combat ready. This art is about punching, closing, 
It's about defending yourself on the street, not right. duel, not dueling in a tournament against a trained opponent. It's about Thanks. if someone attacks me, yeah, basically. That you can get yourself. So I can, I, ironically, I can say that my Tai Chi practice includes fighting, but my Tai Chi Chuan practice does, does not. not. It's under the big umbrella, but it's not under that little umbrella. Right. So you know, that's one of the highest-paid jobs at Shakespeare. Oh, the fight choreography. Yeah. Oh yeah. That guy is making stupid fucking money. I'm told. Really, he's good. I'm mostly not combat oriented. Right. Mostly I'm daily life oriented. We live in a pretty safe community. Uh, chances of getting, you know, it, if you want, if if you don't want to get mugged or stabbed or in a or, or in a fight. Well, if you want to move back to New York, then the, you're the gonna major, have to intensify the, your training. You can you can reduce your chances enormously by sure. just doing one thing. Stay away from the places where young people go to mate and drink. You stay away from the bars where young people go to drink yeah. and hook up. Yeah. If you stay away from those... Stay away from those fucking hormones the and chances, you're good to go. The chances are you're not right. going to get in a fight in your right. adult life. You might still, obviously, you could still get in a fight. Yeah, but you're reducing... That's all Reducing enormously. Yes, and course. then situational awareness. Keep your ears open. When you, you can... Fights give plenty of warning. Absolutely. The, the S tone of voice, sure. the sounds of sure. it. Keep your eyes open. Be aware, of, be aware of the exits. Be yeah. aware of what's going on. Yeah. And you can avoid all kinds of fights. But if you can't... If you can't avoid it, then you know, if I can't avoid it, then I, I want to. I, I just I just want to be decent. Right? I don't know. I just oh oh you mean verbally? Yeah, deescalate yeah. and all that. Yeah, I try. I mean, I, I. But I'm saying even if it comes to you having to leverage what you know, it's merely a way to protect yourself and yeah. not hurt somebody. I'm else, not going to tr- disarm them I'm physically. Gonna, yeah, and that may be hurting them. I don't know. Well, I you mean, may have to just yeah. to get them to stop. It's, but it's, with it's you. self-defense. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I, I mean, I'm I'm hardly an expert. I'm really a beginner at fighting. When's the last time you had a fight? Like a real fight? Seventh grade. Yeah, like me. <laughs> so, so I, but uh, it was a long time ago. Yeah. My goal isn't to be a, an elite fighter. I mean, I mean, I'm almost sixty. I I just want to be not useless in a fight. Right. I, I want to be decent. I want to have a few tools ready to sure. go. So that's what I'm training. Well, that Robbie's dad gave us a little demonstration in Robbie's backyard. And essentially, that's what he said. These were like these deflecting moves, and it was really yeah. cool. And everything is just kind of like in yeah. slow motion. Yeah, yeah. But if you speed it up, it's a yeah. fucking fight scene. Well, if you do Tai Chi and you only punch air, right? You never punch a pad. You never punch a bag. You only punch air. Mm-hmm. And you only work out with people who attack you in a Tai Chi way right. or, or who attack you in a compliant way. In other words, right. they Expected. punch and kind of hang out for a second while you do your technique. Yeah, but that's not how people um, fight. Yeah, exactly. Then, then chances are you're going to fail in a fight. If you want to be okay in a fight, you have to train and spar and you have to train at a level that at least approximates you're fighting a mobile opponent who can right. move and who's trying to hit you right and who won't stand still while you do your technique of course not yeah so this is where a lot of tai chi people are deluded a lot of them get their asses kicked yeah it's happening in the world recently in china a tai chi supposed master although who knows that term gets bandied about pretty loosely fought an MMA guy and the fight lasted 10 seconds and the Tai Chi guy got the living shit beat out of him. He didn't train at that level. Right. It's not that it's Tai Chi is very wonderful stuff but if you don't train at that level. Well it's peaceful oriented and if someone's trying to kill you there's nothing peaceful about yeah, that. Yeah, but it's still a martial art. I mean, it's peaceful, but but it's also it is a martial art. So, if you want to train in that arena, in a mixed martial art arena right. or in a sparring arena right. or in a combat arena, you have to train at that level. Yes, you of have course. to train at that well, level. That it's reasonable. that simple. Why it's, did that idiot fucking do yeah, that? Exactly. You can't Well, ex- he proved it. He proved your point. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. well, it's a good wake up call. A lot of people buy their own hype and they think that because I can do this, you can have real 
chops. You can have real skills yeah. up to a certain point. Sure. But if you don't train against non-compliant opponents from applicable. other styles, yeah. then you don't know. You don't know. Right. You might come through in a pinch, but you don't know right. if you don't train those Not scenarios. Too, and when because, you're confronted, too, it's a whole different mindset oh, anyway. Yeah, what this a difference. This is not just chilling in the fucking Yeah, this guy wants to hurt you. Yeah, he's trying yeah, to kill you. Even if it's in the ring, he wants to hurt you. He yeah. wants to win this fight. Yeah. And if you've never been, if, you, if you've never hit anything besides air, you have a rude awakening coming when you start hitting a pad. I'm surprised the guy lasted 10 seconds. When you start hitting a pad, even. I mean, it's, it's like night and day. Right. So different things. But it all kind of falls under Tai Chi for me. It's all unforced balance. It's all... Isn't that the name of your unforced life? Oh, my blog is the, blog the unforced life. Or yeah. every week? I post now and then. I post a newsletter once a month, and right. I post odd postings here and there. Right. The unforced life is it on blogger. Call? Blogger. On blogger, on blogger, the unforced life. On the unforced okay. life, and I have the unforced videos. Because my the mom, un- the only listener, may want to go check you out. <laughs> well, here's the thing: if you're interested in me and anything I do, the best place to go is jeanburnett.com. Okay. www.jeanburnett.com. Okay, cool. At my site, you will find a homepage, and the homepage has like got a bunch of stuff. On six it. options right away. Yeah. You can go to musical recordings. If you go to musical recordings, I've got thirty plus albums Ridiculous. that you can download free yeah. or you can listen to free or with a donation. I have a little digital tip jar there, but you don't have to. It's, right. it's all free. So you can listen to a lot of music there. You can click on Tai Chi and it'll give you some information about Tai Chi and what I right. do. You can click on either of my two books. I have a Tai Chi book and a songwriting book, both of which are available on Amazon. Tai cool. Chi for Geniuses. Do you, do you make any money on that? Songwriting for Geniuses. Do you sell any of those? A little bit, not much. I probably make in royalties. I probably I don't probably make a hundred bucks a year. Not much. I mean, but they're out there. I mean, you know, there's the a way world. you could pimp that more because you know I hate passive. Pimping. I know, but passive revenue is the best fucking money money can buy. I know you've already done the work. I that's what I mean. Yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm I really I just read something on Instagram that said someone who is successful is someone who makes money while they're sleeping. Ah, uh, well, you know. Well, here's the deal. Marketing is about yelling about yourself, basically. That's and why you got to get someone else I'm, to do it. I'm not into it. Well, that's what I um, mean. Also, you know, my Tai Chi book and my songwriting book are both, they're kind of out of the box a little bit. They're not circles and arrows and pictures and how do you do Tai Chi. Yeah, it's sort of okay. like a practice hand. A lot of people who do Tai Chi are very dogmatic and they're very into their style and they're very into their system and they have a teacher. This is sort of like a companion to that. It's like sort of how to practice, not what to practice. Well, you're just, you're giving your commercial fucking right now. I know. Well, so I can do this talking to you. Okay. Yeah. Maybe someone will buy it. You hear that, Mom? My songwriting book is about how to write a song that's satisfying to you, mm-hmm. not how to write a hit. And music is dominated by people that of want course. to write hits right of now. So everybody wants to be famous. Of that's course. the reason they're doing it. Right. Here, here's a little story. I subscribe to the YouTube channels for Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, and Conan. And I get, you know, updates every right. day in my in my box what they're posting and usually it's little snippets with the guests right and there's a musical acts almost every day right and i click on those musical acts i always give them a listen to see if they can keep me interested for 30 seconds right and if they do how about the next 30 seconds now i've listened to one song all the way through in the last two years one song one song who who was it it was a woman named Mo, I think she goes by. It's like M-O with a line through it. Maybe it's pronounced Mo or Ma or something Mm. like that. She was singing with kind of an electronica trio back there who are playing keyboards and maybe a drum or something. And it was a great song. It's called uh, Don't Leave. And I forget the name of the band. The band is called Something Else with her singing. Um, If you search M-O and 
the song Don't Leave. It's okay. a great song. I'll check it out. I loved it. But that's one song in three years. That's I mean, ridiculous. Most of the time, I can't stand it. It's not authentic. The person is not singing in their own voice. I've heard right. that voice before. Right. Like, it's too canon. how many girls with ukuleles with scoopy voices can you listen to? Oh, I got video of one that was out you on know the, the scoop? street the other day. Yeah. Ah, yeah, of course. Yeah. The little scoop. It's it's lovely, but it's not original. Alanis Morissette fucking if said you, that. If you if you sing if you sing if you sing in a voice that I've already heard before, you know, I I can't teach people how to make a song that will be like that. But I do know how to write a song that will be really satisfying to you. Well, you're creating It'll authenticity in music Off your for chest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons why, you know, I have a lot of albums. A lot of people like me, you know, in quotes. Sure. But actually like me and show up to a show, like hardly anybody. Really, seriously. My draw in Ashland is essentially zero. I mean, if I get three or four people to come to a show, I'm in heaven. Right. If I can get one person to listen to one song all the way through at a gig, really, seriously. Well, I notice you do have a few, like, diehard fans. I've got very, very few. A, a couple tiny. of ladies that just show up. A at tiny. Your, and i played with you, tiny. so I know. I see the same faces. Some of them are show. gone now. <laughs> you mean, like, so, dead? <laughs> uh, yeah, are just gone. See, I live here. So I'm here all the time. Right. And my music is not that complicated. It's four song super folk sim- music. No, but they're super it's, great. It's about the lyrics. Yes. And people don't want to listen to lyrics. And That's because people tolerance. are not used to listening to lyrics. I know. They're used to listening to music. Their tolerance for yes. listening to lyrics is going down, not up. Yes, Plus, I'm true. not young. I'm not sexy. You're I'm a not sexy. a young guy Midway following my dream. If you're a young band following your dream, you automatically have a story that everybody wants to support. Who doesn't want to support a young person following their dream? Yeah, I know. It's a little It's a cliche, story, but, it, but it's a story. I'll tell you, man, I, if I play my best material at the farmer's market, let's say, yeah, my best stuff I've got, yeah. and I play out there for two hours, if I make 20 bucks in tips, I will be really? thrilled. More likely, I'll make 10. Okay. Now, if a young 12-year-old boy is out there with a violin... Who's even not so great well, at the course. violin? He's a young kid following his dream. That's right. He'll make 30, 40, 50 bucks. Uh, it's, it's true. <laughs> He's a young guy. I will tip him. I, I'll give him five bucks right there. I'm 60 yeah. years old. Who wants to hear what 60 year old guys are thinking? I Honestly. Hear jump, you fuckers, man. Right? But you do. But you're 60. <laughs> you know, we're old guys. So, so I host an open mic once a month at the Wild Goose. We have a themed open mic. First Wednesday of every month, different theme every month. Smoking and drinking songs. Wednesday, July 5th, the next one. And I play liquid assets these days, like one month. Monday a month, first Mondays. And I play at the Lithia Artisan Market in the summer. There's going to be a time soon when I won't play live at all. Right. Because, no, I mean, it'll just be irritating to people. <laughs> people will just walk in and go, oh, God, there's a guy with a guitar. Do you think you do any better when you're accompanied? <laughs> a little bit. It depends. If I've got a little bit of backup. But then it's just they're responding to the rhythm, to tell you the truth. They're responding to the rhythm. They still aren't listening to lyrics. It's just they're responding to the rhythm. I can see, like, if I play with you yeah, and there's yeah. a beat and Robbie's playing yeah, the guitar, yeah. they're responding to the rhythm and it's the thing. True. It's and true. And it's like, I get a little more love online than I do in town here. But, you know, really, I, I, I truly am doing this for fun. I like writing a new batch of songs every year. I like putting it together in an album. I like putting it up on CD Baby and iTunes. And sure. I make 100 copies of it. I keep, And when that 100's gone, that's it. Right. I make it available for downloading. and get it at CD Baby or iTunes. You can listen to it. If you like it, lovely. You like making the videos? Um, uh, yeah, for the most part. I don't make really like story videos much. I mostly, I just shoot the thing or me yeah. performing. So I put it out there. Every once in a while, really nice things. Like, here's an example uh the song uh, free range chicken mm-hmm. which honestly i know for a fact right now that if everybody in the world who would buy that song for a dollar if if they heard it could hear it 
Yes. I would never work again. Of course not. Because there's at least a million people who would pay a buck a piece for this song. Of course. How the hell do you stand out in this world? Anyway, I made a video of it, put it up on the website. A company named automaticchickendoors.com who makes an automatic chicken door opener so that you don't have to go out and open the chicken door yourself. They made a little video with the song. That's gotten 35 or 40,000 hits. I made a video of the song with Betty LeDuc paintings that have chickens in them. And I just made a slideshow of her paintings and bir- with birds and right. chickens in them. Stuck my song on there. That's gotten 12,000 hits. Sure. My live version sitting in my living room has gotten several thousand hits. Right. But some gamer, a video gamer in the Czech Republic named Nikashi or something, he uses a bit of free-range chicken is for his outro or something. That video has gotten 12,000 hits. All these Czech people know this gamer guy, and they're wow. all like, Nagashi, Nagashi, we love this song. It's, you know, like, all these Czech people know about my song because of that. that. Well, you know, it's only 12,000 hits. I'd make $3. But, you know, and, and Jumpy Fuckers has gotten... But I, don't, I, I purposely don't monetize Jumpy Fuckers because I just can't bring myself to... You know, seems, it's well, such it an anti-corporate song. Yes. He was yeah. like, Jumpy Fuckers brought yeah, to me by Google. <laughs> yeah, so I don't do that. My song, We're All Gonna Die, has gotten tens of thousands of hits. And I don't know. I mean, like, I've had some I've had some nice stuff on YouTube. I've had people really dig my stuff. You know, you're going to become huge after you're dead, by the way. I hope so. Yeah. But um, <laughs> anyway, at my website, there are links to all this stuff. Um, I also, I created blogs that make my videos much easier to navigate. If you go to my website and sh- click the blog link, you can go to a blog I set up, which is just nothing but embedded YouTube videos. Right. Of, oh, my, good. of, so my, of my music, spot. yeah, yeah it's all spot. in one spot, yeah, and then all my nature videos, and then all my albums, and then all my Tai Chi videos in one place. Yeah, so and I make a little bit of money That's off part YouTube. Part of the Tai Chi is the yeah, I'm an organized guy. Yeah. yeah, so if you go to the website, you can find my blogs, you can find my videos, you can find my albums, you can find Tai Chi lessons if you want to, you know, contact info if cool. you want to get in touch with me here in Ashland, and it's all a pretty modest operation. I'm, you know, I've got a song I'm working on right now. I don't know if it'll ever be finished. I always have a million ideas, but the first line of it is, if I was going to set the world on fire, I think there'd be some smoke by now. (laughs) That's pretty good. If you are listening to this and you would like to listen to some of my music and it touches you in some way and you feel like shooting me five bucks or whatever, the tip jar is there. It's a little PayPal arrangement thing that Dot has set up for me. You can do it. If not, that's okay. I, I, I... Honestly, if I get a really heartfelt, positive email where someone tells me that they really liked That's my music... That's as valuable as the money absolutely. they would have dumped anyway. Honestly, honestly. More valuable. Yeah, I, 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 I love having people say that the music touched them right. and meant something to them in some way. I mean, a tip is nice. If they do both, it's even sure. better. But... Um, you know, that's that's kind of what I'm doing. And like you, we started talking about, you said, you know, you felt complete. As far as my dreams go, I feel complete. I've touched all of the things that I wanted to touch when I was a kid. Yeah. Nature, teaching, physicality, yeah. self-defense, a, a partnership, good friends. I, I've got to make music for people. I got to make albums. Of the, I'm self-produced, but they're right. still albums. Yeah. And I got to work with some good people and make some good friends. And uh so my only goals right now for the rest of my life really is just to continue just to continue doing as what you're lo- doing. to continue as long as I can. Yeah. I like helping people with their balance. I like making music. Yeah. I like being heard and you know, I, I don't get heard that much, frankly, but when I do get heard, it's really worth well, the you got to have your own fucking open mic. I mean, yeah, you've you know, kind of created yeah, a, a, little, there's a, a little, platform. There's a little so arena can, there. Yeah. I, I try to get listened to, but I, I play gigs, honestly, where nobody in the nobody there listens to an entire song all the way through. No one. They no, did it Brit. No song. They did it Brit. 
I sold 66 CDs. Man. I was in the dressing room and this guy comes in. Are you Gene Burnett? I go, yes. He goes, are you willing to sign CDs? I go, oh, gosh, shit. Of course. Are you kidding? And I go out there and there's this line. I was like, holy. And it was free range chicken. Everybody, uh, two out of three of those people said, I love that chicken song. So I know that if, if I ever get a chance to play for people who are quietly seated, like they're just come to, to listen right. to music. If I don't have to get the people in the chairs... I cannot get people in the chairs. No, no, of I can't get even four people in the chairs. Right. But if there's people there already, I, I do very well. Yeah. I'm a run-scoring doubles hitter. Right. Like, I don't hit a home run. They don't stand up. No, but you're getting on base every time. Every time, yeah. dude. I'm the yeah. Edgar Martinez of yeah, <laughs> Edgar Martinez of folk music. Yeah. I'm serious. Like, I will do well every time I do it. But getting those gigs in the first place is, is the hard part. Yeah. But I'll tell you what. I got two green shows this summer. Good. And the new stage is fucking it's beautiful, beautiful isn't it? Oh my it looks God, great. It's so good. I wasn't sure how that area to the right was going to work as far as seating. It looked weird. It looked at a weird angle, but now that the stage is at that different it angle, totally it kind of works. Man. Yeah, they, they they had their thinking caps on it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so I'm going to do, this Excited is what, 2017? Yeah. If this gets heard five years from now, I want to be sure that people don't go out to the green show expecting me to be there. Right. 2017, August 22nd and October 11th. Cool. One's a Tuesday, one's a Wednesday. Cool. And I'm looking forward to that. That should be really me fun too. because I don't have to get them in the freaking seats or on the ground. See, that's They're the going to be there already. Once they know you and love you, because you're going to have your little table with your CDs and mm. shit there, isn't this a way for you to bring in new listeners? Maybe. The decent portion of the audience will be will be tourists. And they're older, there. too. And yeah. so there might be a, a, a appreciation for you. Maybe it'll just lead to more green shows. I don't care. It's just right. an opportunity to go up there for 45 minutes and have people listen. I, yeah. mean, I can keep people listening. It's just getting them to listen. Yeah, That's yeah, the yeah. Hard. If they're already listening... I can usually I can keep them pretty good. Marky, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I you always too, love man. talking to you. Super this has fun. been so much fun. We're giving each other a handshake and a fist bump, and now we're tongue kissing. Love you too, man. Well, that's the show. Super fun. I still haven't spoken to Boo, but I'm hopeful that uh, she'll reach out to me. I certainly did reach back out to her. But these are uh, challenging times for our relationship. And uh, I'm super grateful for the time that I've had with her, but have no expectations of going any further if that cannot happen. Uh, It was great to talk to Gene. He's had a very colorful life for sure, and uh, he's become a very close friend. If you'd like to check out uh, Gene more closely, listen to his music, check out his books, Uh, Go online to www.geneburnett.com, G-E-N-E-B-U-R-N-E-T-T.com. On a side note, I just want to let you know that my daughter Zoe has recovered quite well from her appendectomy and is at a sleepover at her friend's tonight, which is a great sign. On other notes, uh, still some difficulty with my son Sam. Not sure how that's going to play out, but... You know, he's 13, and I'm just going to kind of leave him alone to his devices, as it were, and just kind of give him some space. It's probably not easy to be 13, and frankly, I don't remember anything about it. So I love my son, and I I will do what I can for him, but, you know, I'm finding that other teenagers his age are doing the same thing this summer. They're just kind of vegetating, playing their games, and, and hibernating in their rooms. And so be it. This is that time for those people to do those things. Coming up next week, we've got Andy Baxter, fitness expert, a health guru, professional athlete, just a plethora of good stuff 
that Mr. Baxter, and he's going to share with us some things that are going to help us feel better about getting older. And I never thought this would be, but I now fit within the realm of his area of expertise, which is fitness for those over 55. Oh my God, that's me. Hope I don't fall and break a fucking hip. Great to uh, spend some time with you. As always, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Constantly thinking about you and sending love and support in any way that you need it. Take care. Bye-bye. I am Citizen 44.